0: Lovely to see you. Lovely to be back here uh, with you. And uh, I want to share with you something this morning that has been an encouragement to me, and I hope it will be an encouragement to you. We're going to start off by going to the Old Testament, to 2 Kings, and we're going to read from chapter 2, the first 18 verses. And this is a really interesting chapter. If you've not read it before, you'll find it especially interesting. The heading in my Bible is Elijah taken up to heaven. When when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. to the Jordan and he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. 50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the God, the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, he divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him. We leave it there. We pray that God will add a blessing to his word. It's an unusual passage of scripture, isn't it? Let's have a little prayer together. Father, we're so grateful that you have left us your word, and we thank you that your Holy Spirit helps us to understand what it says. And we pray that this morning that we'd understand not only what the word of God says, but what it means for us today. And we pray that we might go away from this service thinking a little bit more deeply about what it is you want from us and from our lives. And we pray that you'd help us so that not only would we understand, O oh Lord, but that our hearts might respond to you with praise and thanksgiving and that the way we live will really honor you and bring a smile of pleasure to your face. We ask it, Father, as we say thank you, the precious and lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. I can't commend Alpha highly enough to you. Uh, I was in ministry for a long number of years, and we Mm. ran many courses, and a lot of folks found Jesus in those courses. So do, if you have any questions, or even if you're a very young Christian, go along. Deepen your faith and learn. That'll be good for you. Well, let's get on with what we're supposed to be doing. Sometimes my wife sends me out shopping, and I have to confess I don't always like the shopping. I tend to go to the supermarket and... Very good. Oh, we go to the supermarket and I usually am the one with the trolley and it takes me a while to go around because I never know where things are, somebody's always moving so I go from one aisle and I I try to go through it logically but I find myself going backwards and forwards in all sorts of directions and when I finally get my trolley full I go out and I look at the tills and I see which one has the least number of people standing there, which am I going to get through the quickest and I make my decision and I go and stand there and I'm standing but there's a number of folks in front of me and after a while I happen to know that the lady on the till has somebody helping her and as I get a little bit closer I see the lady on the till has a little badge that says under training and the guy who I just managed to get to the head of the queue in front of he's at the next till and he's on his way through and there's still three folks in front of me and I stand there and I try to look all serene and peaceful. But inside, I have to tell you that I'm struggling a bit because I'm a bit impatient. Do you relate to that? Most of us don't like queuing. And we might stand and try to look patient, but we seldom enjoy that experience. Why? Because the truth is we don't, have, we don't like having to wait for anything. Now, the disciples were learners, learning about Jesus, and that's what we are. But we don't learn about Jesus and graduate from some school of discipleship. Learning about Jesus is a lifelong experience. It, it goes on until we get to leave this earth and go to be with him we are lifelong learners and we discover that God uses times of waiting to prepare us to do stuff for him and we can serve God at whatever age we are because there's always something that he has for us to do I think of Moses Moses spent 40 years in Egypt learning about the wisdom of the Egyptians. And then he went into the wilderness, and he had to unlearn some of that stuff. So he had 80 years to prepare him for 40 years' ministry in Egypt, leading God's people out of Egypt. And not only do we have uh, uh, Moses, we have Paul. God called Paul or Saul, as he was known, on the Damascus Road. And and when he he came to know Jesus, immediately he began to preach. And then he spent at least 10 years working alongside Barnabas before he set out on his first missions trip. So he had a period of preparation for his ministry. And even the Lord Jesus had 30 years preparing for three years of ministry. Well, we read we read a really interesting passage from 2 Kings. Now, let me explain to you what's going on here. Way, way back in 1 Kings chapter 19, we read, it's just about to come any moment. Is, I'm press, there you go, I'm pressing the wrong one, you see. This is what age does for you. <laughs> anyway, listen. Verse 19. Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plying with twelve yokes of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Well, what was going on there? Well, Elijah went and he found Elisha. The names are a little confusing. And he took his cloak off and threw it around Elisha. And that was that was a, a very interesting act and a very significant act. He was calling Elisha to become his apprentice. He was going to, to work work with and walk alongside Elijah. So that was very, very important. Well, by the time we get to 2 Kings chapter 2, about 10 years had passed. So for 10 years, Elisha was being prepared for the role to which God was calling him. And I'm very sure that God used Elisha during those 10 years, but they were years of preparation. And do you know something? Perhaps God is preparing us today for a task that he sets before us tomorrow. Perhaps. God is preparing us today for something he wants us to do next week, and it might involve waiting. We don't like waiting, do we? Well, it was very interesting. It's amazing that God, in preparing us, sends along unlabeled experiences and mystery packages which come into our lives and are unwrapped slowly. And it's often only as we look back that we can identify what God has been doing in our lives. That's why James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That seems an odd thing to say, but he, he qualifies it. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So God sends along stuff, some of which we don't like, in order to prepare us for a task that he might put in front of us. I came across something several years ago. There was a Presbyterian minister in America called Lloyd John Ogilvy, I like his writing. And he, he, he was writing about what he called the worst year of his life. He said that his wife had undergone five surgeries during that year. She'd had radiation and chemotherapy, and then he was passed from a large church, but he had problems with some of the staff members in the church. Some of them had left. Large problems were looming, and discouragement assaulted his feelings, but he wrote, and I quote, the greatest discovery that I have made in the midst of all the difficulties is that I can have joy when I can't feel like it. And he called it an artesian joy, a joy that came welling up from deep within. When I had every reason to feel beaten, I felt joy in spite of everything. God gave me the conviction of being loved and the certainty that nothing could separate me from him. It wasn't happiness, gush, or jolliness, but a constant flow of the Holy Spirit through me. At no time did he give me the easy confidence that everything would work out as I wanted it to on my timetable. But that he was in charge and would give me and my family enough courage for each day, enough grace. Joy is always the result of that. So God has some stuff in mind for us to do. And he prepares us by sending along experiences, things that we don't always welcome because we don't always find them comfortable. And yet when these things come along, if we surrender them to God, he uses them. They test us. They maybe stretch us in ways that we find uncomfortable. But God does it because He's looking for an outcome of fruitfulness. And looking at this passage in 2 Kings, we find that there are four tests that Elisha faced. And I just want to identify the four tests for you because it's quite conceivable that these tests we might face even this week. So the first test was the test of loyalty. Uh, Elijah had a very interesting series of conversations with Elisha, and they were perhaps a little confusing. He said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Jordan. So three times he told him to stay. And on each occasion, Elisha responded with the words, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So what's going on here? Well, I don't know why Elijah wanted Elisha to stay. Did Elijah want to have some time on his own? We don't know. Uh, uh, Did he want to spare Elisha some distress? We're not sure, but maybe Elijah was testing Elisha's loyalty. And three times, Elisha states his commitment. Now, it has to be said, we live in a day of fragile and fickle commitment. I don't know about you and what what you think, but it seems to me that things that were once viewed as obligations are now viewed as choices. Things that were once viewed as obligations are today viewed as choices. And this has impacted the church right across the United Kingdom, big time. It is increasingly difficult to staff (coughs) the I I have no idea, Nicolae, if it's difficult for you to staff the cafe. But I know that in the churches that I move amongst, it's difficult to get volunteers. We're living in a day of postmodernism, and postmodernism says, and "I'm not really sure. I want to volunteer. I want to keep my options open." So it used to be that when you asked folks, would they uh, would they want to play football? Uh, people would say, "Oh yes," and they would cheerfully come to the midweek practice in order to play in the match on Saturday. But now they don't want to go to the practice. They want to keep their options open. If they get an invitation to do something more interesting, they'll go and do it too. So that's that's what it's like today. There's been a subtle shift in thinking as folks are drawn to a Christian life which is supposed to be a succession of thrills. But actually, following Jesus, it's one step at a time and it's just a lifelong obedience that's what is that's what discipleship is a life of obedience so john the baptist's word become increasingly foreign to folks today do you remember john the baptist when the uh, jesus was uh, baptizing people and people were flocking to hear jesus uh, and john the disciple john the baptist's disciples came and said you know uh, all, all your followers are going to become jesus followers." And John the Baptist said, he must become greater and I must become less. Or in the words of the NIV, he must increase and I must decrease. For Elisha, learning, or leaving rather, was not an option. Look at what he said. He said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And there's two things that emerge from that for me. And the first is this, he says, As the Lord lives, you see, for Elisha, God was real. God wasn't just somebody he thought about on the Sabbath. He lived with a conscious awareness of God's presence every day. And not only did he live in the conscious awareness of God's presence, he he, he was aware that God is God. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So I think Elisha knew what it was to fear the Lord, not to fear the Lord as, a, a, as God who was a big stick who was going to beat him up and then put banana skits in his way, but to fear the Lord knowing that God is holy and just not wanting to do anything that God would find offensive. And, and not only did he have this fear of God, he went on to say, as and as you live, you see, he had a heart tie to Elijah. And these factors made up Elisha's mind. And the truth is, loyalty is a choice that we make. But be sure of this. The Lord will test your loyalty. Pass the test and see what God will do. Pass the test and the Lord will lead you on to a new level in your in your walk with him into new blessings and new joys so the first test Elisha faced was the test of loyalty and perhaps this incoming week our loyalty will be called into questions who do we put first do we do we put God or something else so that's the first test that Elisha faced the second test we come across in this passage is loneliness the verse 3 do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today yes I know Elisha replied but do not speak of it the company of the prophets asked the question in fact there were three places to which he went he went um, uh, to Bethel he went to Jericho and he went to Jordan and in each of those places there was a company of the prophets there and on two of the first two places that he went to Bethel and Jericho the prophets came along and said do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from me today and Elisha uh, said yes I know but do not speak of it it wasn't something that he was looking forward to isn't it interesting that he got that not just once but he got that twice there are times when following the Lord Leads us into times of loneliness because our seeking to be faithful can lead us to being criticized and misunderstood. If you have a great dream and you walk on ahead, it's likely that you walk alone. I had one of my elders in Finley, was that a kind of a visionary. He used to come up with 12 ideas before breakfast. Now, maybe 11 of them weren't up to a whole lot, but every so often he came up with a real gem. He was a visionary. And I remember explaining to him one day that he was destined for a lifetime of frustration. And he said, why? I said, because people are are not going to understand what your vision is. So they're they're not going to really get alongside you and support you. They're going to think you're a bit, bit way out there. That's sometimes what happens. I wonder did Elisha feel that he might be the odd one out, out of step with everyone else? I wonder did Elisha feel patronized by their words and wounded by their tone? Were they glad that a relationship that they had seen but not shared was soon to be over? Maybe Elisha felt that when Elijah left, there would come upon him a weight of new responsibilities that he would struggle with. Perhaps the prophets were questioning and and, and saying, are are, are you up to it? Leadership can sometimes be very lonely. I have a little booklet in my bag written by, I meant to bring it up to show it to you, uh, in my bag written by a guy called Charles Swindle, Chuck Swindle, and it's called The Lonely Whine of the Top Dog. The Lonely Whine of the Top Dog. Uh, Maybe the Lord has given or is giving you some responsibility, and you're feeling kind of lonely. Because not everybody gets alongside and supports and encourages. It can be a tough test. But remember what God says to us through Deuteronomy chapter 3. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Because we're on a journey. We're on a journey and God knows where we're going. So there was the test of loyalty, the test of loneliness, and then Elisha's faith was tested. Look at verses 7 and 8. Fifteen men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped to the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. I think that's absolutely an amazing picture, isn't it? It it has to be a miracle, because I never had a coat like that. and I don't suppose you did either. Extraordinary thing to witness. Well, Ten Boom, of whom you know, said that faith is like radar that sees through fog the reality of things at a distance that the human eye cannot see faith is like a radar that sees through fog the reality of things at a distance that the human eye cannot see now faith believes that god intervenes in this world that he steps in and answers prayers not always in the way that we expect him to but faith believes in the reality of god that god is not a million miles away faith believes that god is looking down on the whole of scotland and not just the whole of scotland that god is looking down on glasgow and not just glasgow but on the towns and villages that surround glasgow faith believes that God looks down on Moody's and faith believes that God doesn't just look down on new beginnings but that God is present in new beginnings because God has said where two or three are gathered in my name there am I in the midst and just sometimes when we pray and our eyes are closed I don't know if you've had the experience you're almost frightened to open your eyes because of the sense of the reality and nearness of God, he is here because he told us would be. And if you and I have a desire that the little faith that we have might be nurtured and developed so that it will grow, do you know what God will do with it? He will grab it, hold it, and he will stretch it. And the stretching of our faith can make us feel pretty uncomfortable. But that's what God does when he wants our faith to grow. And you know, your faith really ought to get you into trouble at times. If everybody thinks we're nuts, we may be. If some folks think we're nuts, well, that's okay. But if nobody thinks we're nuts, we're probably in trouble. Our faith ought to get us in trouble sometimes. That's because we speak up. When everybody's going in one direction, we're going in a different direction. Maybe you're standing around somewhere and you hear somebody take the Lord's name in vain and you, you just say, do you mind not saying that because you're Speaking about somebody who's really precious to me. And they might laugh at you. That's okay. I think I'd rather speak up for the Lord and win his approval than be worried about the disapproval of somebody nearby. Elisha had learned to walk closely with God the company of the prophets it says stood at a distance Elisha didn't he refused to be a spectator he wanted to know more of the reality of the power of God. Faith sometimes is spelt R-I-S-K because it's can involve us stepping into a place where we're going to be in trouble if the Lord doesn't turn up. But you know, the Lord has a way of turning up. And you know what it says in Hebrews chapter 11? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And trust is the outworking of faith. And what were were the risks for Elisha? Well, maybe his peers would have shunned him you see, when God is at work among his people, things are happening. Usually criticisms come, not from atheists, not from outsiders or even agnostics. Criticisms most often come from within the church. I like to think, and I think I've said it before, that the authorised version refers to God's peculiar people. And some of them, in my experience, really are peculiar. And I think it's fair to say that he has the really peculiar ones fairly evenly distributed around to keep the rest of us humble. So sometimes the most hurtful criticism comes from fellow Christians. And when that happens, you just have to ask, who's driving your bus? Where's the criticism coming from? What's the point of it? Because you've got constructive criticism and destructive criticism. I think enough said on on that just now. Crossing the Jordan moved Elisha and Elijah away from the crowd. But the other side of the Jordan wasn't a safe place to be. It was foreign territory. It was potentially dangerous. And when you and I step out in faith with God, The truth is we enter into the enemy's territory. And maybe the Lord has been whispering to some of us, saying, trust me, have faith, take a risk, step out, and you'll discover what you thought was a risk isn't a risk at all. I don't know what that could be it may be you have been listening and you've been hearing the message of the gospel that God loves you but God wants to have a relationship with you and maybe you've worried about it and I'm not really sure what am I going to let myself in for I think most of us have been there but when you trust God it's not a risk at all it really isn't a risk so Elisha went through a test of loyalty a test of loneliness and a test of faith and then we find a fourth and a very subtle test the test of ambition Elijah says to Elisha, tell me what can I do for you before I am taken from you well what what would Elisha say how would he respond to that well this was a test of ambition Now, it has to be said that ambition is not a bad thing in and of itself, but we need to recognize and understand that the word appears in the New Testament seven times. Did you know that? And on five of the seven occasions, the word ambition is linked with another word, and it's the word selfish. Selfish. You see, I don't know if it's right, but maybe five-sevenths of our ambition tends to be focused with the stuff that we want, you know, bigger car, or maybe a car, bigger car, a brand new computer, or bigger house, or, or whatever it is, but Elisha's ambition was not for himself, it was for God, so Seven times the word ambition appears in the New Testament. Five times it's linked with the word selfish. My heart is deceitful above all things, and I don't know it, so I just pray, Lord, but you help my ambitions to be holy so that I want what you want, that the things that may you weep would make me weep? I think that's a good thing to pray. Well, Elisha could have sought fame and fortune and power but he didn't he said to Elijah let me inherit a double portion of your spirit he wanted to be Elijah's successor he'd walked with him Elijah for 10 years Elisha had a good idea of what was involved in being a prophet. He knew what the ministry was all about. But he did not want to be a sensation. He wanted to be a servant. He didn't want to be a sensation. He wanted to be a servant of God, serving people. And he wanted the power to do the things that Elijah did. Because he wanted his ministry to be effective. Look at verse 10. Elijah says, you are That's a difficult thing. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. Now, in order to receive this double portion, um, there were three things that Elisha had to do. And these are really interesting. The first thing he had to do is he had to keep watching. Because Elijah said, "If you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not." Watch. What should we be watching today? Well, I think we're wise if we watch what others do, especially those whom God is using to bless. So look around. Who do you look up to spiritually? What what is it about their lives that you can learn? Watch. Watch. And, and, And then he goes on to say in verse 11, as they were walking along together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. So he had to watch, and the next thing is walk. Walk together. Walking along together. We are wise if we keep company with those whom God is using. We're wise to seek them out, to find out their hearts, to read the books that they're reading, to listen to their teaching, watching, walking, And then the third thing was simply talking together. Are you not inquisitive how men like John Stott organized his prayer life? I I never met John Stott. Uh, I was going to a conference in the Tron where he was preaching. I was all excited about it. But the day before, I got a telephone call in the evening to say that I was to come to the Kingston Bridge. Somebody was going to jump off the bridge and was asking for me. So the, the traffic was backed up for an awfully long way along the Clines um, Express. But I drove up the hard shoulder and the policeman stopped me. He said, What are you doing up here? I said, I'm here because you've called me to come. So it was bucketing rain and the policeman got in the car and he said, Don't told me about the guy on the uh, on the bridge and he said what would you say to him i'd say get on jump or get off i knew he wasn't going to jump shouldn't maybe said that but that that's what i said anyway and anyway they talked him down and i visited him in the cells later on and that Next day, instead of going to hear John Stott, I had to go to the court, and I pleaded with him to give this man a custodial sentence, but they didn't, so I got him out of the court, and I emptied the bottles out of his pocket, and I took the top off, and I poured it all down in the gutter, and then he said, I have no money to get home, so I have to give him the the train fare to get home, but I I never got to hear John Stott, but I'd love to have heard it because I'd love to have asked him about about how how did he organise his prayer life, because... I wanted to learn. And and maybe there are things that we can learn from others whom God is blessing. I think to to walk alongside and to talk, what opportunities we have for growing, learning from the experiences of others. Well, Elisha saw Elijah being swept up to heaven in a chariot of fire and he tore his clothes. Why did he do that? Because he was, he was grieving. He, 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 he felt a real sense of loss because Elijah was taken from him. He'd had that relationship that made that parting quite painful, and he picked up the cloak that Elijah had dropped. I think it was possibly the same cloak that Elijah had thrown around his shoulders all those year, years before. But here he was on his own, and he was on the wrong side of the Jordan, enemy territory. There were no ferries, there were no bridges, no boats, but there was no problem. Because he'd asked for a double portion of Elijah's power, and now came the opportunity to test it. So what did he do? Well, he didn't stop there and hold a pity party or call for help. He just got the cloak and he rolled it up, and he whacked the water with it. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left. He crossed over. God had given him the power of Elijah and a double portion. And so interesting, the company of 50 prophets who stood a distance away Uh, it says, the company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and he bowed and, and bowed down to the ground before him. Interesting passage, isn't it? And those four tests, I wonder, are those tests that we're going to face this week a test of loyalty? Perhaps the test of loneliness. Maybe God will have given you a job to do and you're doing it, but you're on your own. There's nobody there encouraging you. Perhaps faith. Your faith needs to be stretched a wee bit. Perhaps he'll do that this week. And perhaps a little ambition. Maybe the Holy Spirit will nudge you and ask you this morning, what actually is it that you really want? What's really most important for you? Is it... Learning more about God and growing into the likeness of Jesus? Or are other things kind of getting in the way? I don't know the answers to those questions, but I know that the Holy Spirit will get to work on you. And uh, I just need to say that if you don't answer, that is an answer. Not answering is an answer in terms of the ambition. So there you have it, very simple, but I, I hope that you will be encouraged, as Elisha must have been, because he went on and ministered very powerfully, and uh, Graham has indicated that there's the outside possibility that I might be invited back at some stage, and if I am, I'm going to continue with Elisha, because I think Elisha's life so exciting and we can learn so much from it so let us just take a moment to pray together father we are very very grateful for all that we read about uh, elisha and elijah in the word and we thank you that elisha passed those tests with flying colors and we just would pray that you'd help us to remember these four tests so that as we bump into some of them in this week to come, that we might know the help of the Holy Spirit to pass those tests, that we might be being made into the people that you want us to be. We want to pray that we might be able to access the wonderful power that you say is available to us, so that we might live lives that are honouring to you, lives that bring a smile of pleasure to your face. And you know, O oh Lord, that we need help because each of us faces challenges of one kind or another. But We want to pray that we might know such help from you, that even in the challenges, that people would take note that we, we love Jesus and Be challenged and encouraged by that. So use us, Father. Pour out a blessing on new beginnings, Lord, and on this church family. May they be wonderfully encouraged and richly blessed in these days. We ask it, Father, as we say thank you, in the precious and lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.